Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds and hearts open to learning from your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So, the wise man built his house on the rock, whereas the foolish man was not quite so sensible and found himself having a little bit of a problem. I wonder what images went through your mind as you heard that reading read so beautifully by Chris just now. For me, and it's going to stick with me all day, in fact, it's been with me all week, whenever I read that passage, all I can hear myself doing is humming the children's song about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went splat or something like that. I forget the words exactly. It'll be one that Amelie will doubtless get to know uh, in time as well. But many flood images have also been in the news recently. Um, So perhaps images like two that I'm going to show now will be particularly relevant. Firstly, we might think of one like this one. We might think of the devastating floods in the southern Indian state of Kerala in July this year. We can't even really begin to imagine the distress that this woman feels, the challenges she'll have to rebuild her own life, the life of her family and of her community. This disaster was in the news maybe for a couple of days, it's in our minds for a couple of days, and then it's gone. But actually for this lady and for her community, that disaster hasn't gone. They need to be very resilient people. Or maybe this image instead. Yes, this woman's livelihood as a rice farmer has been badly affected by flooding. But she's stoical about it. In fact, she's even positive. Can you imagine that? Her fields are flooded, but she's positive. Why? Because the flooding that's devastated recently her crops was deliberate. It was deliberate as 130 million litres of water was pumped out of underground caves and caverns to help with the rescue of those 12 or so teenagers, I think, and their football coach. We heard about it in the news not that long ago. Um, Those teenagers and their coach were trapped underground for about 20 days. They showed great resilience in the face of adversity. It would be my idea of a complete nightmare as someone who's quite claustrophobic. But the rice farmer's comments are what are particularly interesting for us on this Education Sunday When asked about the devastation caused, she replied, children are more important than rice. We can regrow rice, but we can't regrow children. What an amazingly resilient response. As she empathized with the needs of others. So it's Education Sunday. Education Sunday offers us all the opportunity to to focus on the process of learning, of course. Hopefully we do that week by week here anyway. The parables, and we heard one of them just now, the parables told by Jesus were intended to aid learning after all. But this one, and I hope you'll bear with me, gives us the opportunity to consider what it means to be a resilient follower of Christ In fact, preparing for this talk this morning has been part of my own education. I've never stood here giving a talk before. Um, It's the first time I've done it, so uh, you might well be asking yourself why, but it's actually Patrick's fault because he invited me to do so. So we'll blame him if it goes wrong. But Patrick knows that my professional life is firmly rooted in education. 
I began my working life well over 30 years ago as a teacher uh, in a rather challenging, it has to be said, loved every minute of it, a challenging comprehensive school in inner London. Um, and I w wove my way through various jobs, including, as it happens, a period of time as head of modern languages at what is now Isha High. So, uh, in fact, at Mike's school, as it turns out. But my current full-time role is uh, I'm professor of education at St. Mary's University in Twickenham. It's a small university, not very far from here, but it's education lies absolutely at the heart of that university, where teacher training and teacher development is really, well, it's about a third of our students on campus are involved in that kind of activity. Absolutely at the heart. Um, my role as director of the Institute of Education is to lead as best I can, hopefully as an agent of change, as Mike himself said, um, somewhere approaching a 1,000 students and a 100 colleagues over time. It is the most privileged of jobs um, as I help new and experienced teachers to embrace what it means to make a difference in young people's lives. So my aim this morning, and I'm not going to take too long about it hopefully, is to share a few insights from my own professional work, um, but also relate them specifically to our lives as followers of Christ. The parable of the wise man and the foolish man is going to be really helpful because I can link that in beautifully too. So let's think a little bit about flooding. Seems appropriate somehow, given we've had water up here for baptism today. Flooding isn't generally any more a concern in Claygate and the surrounding area. Um, but I, when people are faced with challenges, I hear things like this. People will say, oh, don't worry, she's really tough. She's resilient. She'll be absolutely fine. Don't worry about her. And then we hear the other side of it as well. Oh, he's not very resilient. He'll wobble, that's for sure. He'll never cope. We all know that kind of response. But those comments tend to indicate that resilience is either something you've got or you haven't got. Um, yes, we may have different levels of resilience. You know, some of us are a bit more cup half full than others. But research shows very clearly that resilience is not something we either have or we don't have. It's not a fixed trait, but it's something that can be learned and developed over time fostered and cultivated through relationships, which is why I was so pleased to hear Mike say that relationships is at the heart of the work that his teachers are doing with children. Now, my own doctoral research was about resilience of early career teachers. Um, and in that process, I've come to see resilience as a very long continuum line. So at one end of this resilience continuum line, there is grit, there's toughness, there's the stiff upper lip, there's the getting on with it kind of side. But actually, my research has shown that this continuum line is really long. And at the other end of the continuum line, there's an openness to vulnerability, an openness to admitting that we've got things wrong, that we've made mistakes, an openness to learning and seeking help from others. And we need to be resilient at all ends of that continuum line. As I stand here with arms outstretched, I wonder if that reminds you of someone not very far behind me on the stained glass window. As distinctive daily disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to develop a resilient spirit to face adversity and never be satisfied with anything less than what God has got planned for us. Now, I'm going to refer now to some work from two psychologists. We don't often get psychologists mentioned in church, but anyway, these ones are worth it. Um, two well-known psychologists, Robertson and Cooper, they do lots about the field of resilience, and they identify four key aspects of resilience. And I'm going to just take each one in turn very briefly 
thinking about the teachers who I work with, the new teachers, about the wise and foolish man in our parable this morning, and then also, obviously, about ourselves as Christians. So first up, purpose. Purpose for new teachers is really straightforward. We've welcomed 400 of them onto campus for the postgraduate course this week. They usually join the teaching profession with a very strong sense of vocation, a desire to make a difference in people's lives, um, wanting to help generally. The wise man in the parable will have had a clear sense of purpose when he built his house on the rock. He perhaps even knew that it was somewhere near a floodplain. His purpose was to ensure that his home was safe, whatever the weather. And what about our sense of purpose as Christians? It can be expressed simply in my mind. I'm a person of simple mind often when it comes to faith. Our purpose is simply to fulfill God's purpose. As we read in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then confidence. Well, think of the teachers you know. A teacher's confidence comes from so many things, but I'm going to just take one, their knowledge of the subject they're teaching. I'm amazed at the amount of knowledge required by primary school teachers. My sister is one. The amount of knowledge they need, ranging from maths and science through to English and geography and history and music and PE and RE and art, so many different subjects needing to know all of that. I just take my absolute hat off to every primary school teacher in the country. You might think it was easier for a secondary school teacher who will usually have a subject specialism. But let me tell you, even if you hold a PhD in mathematics, that doesn't mean you feel confident when trying to explain fractions to a year seven, 11-year-old new in secondary school pupil who has struggled with grasping basic mathematical concepts ever since they went to school. In our parable, the wise man will have felt confident at the point we hear about him in spite of the downpour. Actually, as I read that passage, I can almost imagine him looking with some sort of disdain or even scorn on the foolish man who, after all, how could you be so stupid to build your house on sand? But will he always be that confident? Situations change, we all know that. And how confident do we feel as Christians? The good news, as I see it, is that our, confident, our confidence comes from constantly connecting with God. For those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, it tells us in Psalm 125, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And yes, that's confidence in God. But shall I tell you, it's even better than that. Because it's in a God who also has confidence in us. He believes in us. And sometimes even more than we believe in him. And what about social support? Mike talked about relationships. For a new teacher, the importance of social support, professional networks, um, everything that's needed, supportive mentors are crucial in a new teacher's development. The mentor is there to guide, to encourage, to develop, challenge as appropriate. When that social support is lacking, then a new teacher is particularly vulnerable. I see it many times um, throughout the year. Very vulnerable and at risk of being washed away from the profession. Mike's already mentioned that recruiting teachers is hard. We certainly don't want to have any of them washed away. But when the social support is strong, the new teacher is secure on firm foundations and able to flourish and serve the children that they're teaching. 
Now, the wise man, again, in our parable, doesn't seem to need social support at the point we hear about him, but we can only hope that he's going to offer much-needed support to the foolish man whose house has now been washed away, because after all, one day, it might well be the wise man who needs the support of others with some other aspect of his own life. And what about our social support as Christians? There's lots of us here. What's our social support? Are we all involved in fellowship? Are we loving and generous to one another? We see many occasions in the New Testament where Jesus supports others. Of course he does, but he is also supported by others in his ministry. Now, in my current role, apart from my full-time day job, I'm also church warden here. And in that role, the support of my husband, Richard, who is just unbelievable, the support of working with Bill Lowe, who is my fellow church warden, the support of people on the PCC, the support of the staff team, and so many other people are crucial to my ability to fulfill those roles properly and to stay firm and resilient in what we're doing. For me, it also comes, and this is perhaps a silly example, but it's so important. It also comes for me from the wonderful people who gather here at nine o'clock every Saturday morning in the prayer room. There's morning prayer every week. It just happens to be at nine o'clock on a Saturday to just meet and pray together. That time is different people each week, but that time is just such a good way of grounding who I am and what I want to be part of as part of this church. Relationships really matter. And then there's the final aspect up on the screen, adaptability. Now, for teachers, there's a need to learn, and in fact, quite often unlearn and then relearn things they thought they already knew when they're training to teach. Teachers need to be adaptable as they respond to different situations all of the time. I'll just mention a few. Different schools, different children, different ages, different ability groups, different teaching topics, different colleagues. That's before we even get to the parents. I'm still learning and adapting every day myself in what I'm doing. It's one of the reasons that teaching is never a boring job. The wise man in our parable, he might not have to adapt much at the moment. His house is fine, but it might be different if there was an earthquake next week. The foolish man, on the other hand, will need to adapt as he rebuilds his home and his life, hopefully in a more secure place on firmer foundations. And what about us as Christians? Do we need to be adaptable? I think the best way to consider this is to slightly change the word from adaptability to applicability. Because each week at any of our services here at Holy Trinity, we think about the application of the Bible message to us in our lives. And it helps us as we're striving to live our lives according to God's will. Sometimes, though, our willingness to be adaptable is affected by the extent of our faith or indeed our fear. We do need to trust God. Trust is crucial to help and equip us, but also play our part in reflecting just how much these factors affect who we are as Christians. As I draw this talk to a close, I'm going to just mention a very interesting book. It's here by, written by two people, Zolly and Healy. I love their names, Zolly. Wouldn't it be great to have that as a surname? Um, it's entitled, quite simply, Resilience. You might be surprised to hear it's not a book about education, and it's not even a Christian publication. Um, the authors in it explore many aspects of life where we need to be resilient, where resilience is needed. They mention things like the sporting context, athletes training, that kind of thing. They mention financial markets. They mention natural uh, phenomena like moving tectonic plates and things. It's a cracking read. But one particular phrase in that book 
jumps off the page every time I read it. It's on page five, and it says, constant disruption requires better shock absorbers. Constant disruption requires better shock absorbers. Now, the world of education, as I'm sure Mike will agree, um, is full of constant disruption. There's new policies, new curriculum, examination changes with every change of Minister of State for Education, every new government. There's Ofsted, don't start me on that. There are interfering or perhaps worse, even disinterested parents. There are troublesome and troubled children and so on. And it's the same in our own Christian lives. There's potential disruption for us at every single turn along the way. To live in a society such as we do, as a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, does feel countercultural. I've heard that word mentioned here before, where there are so many conflicting pressures and distractions. But I hope that all places of learning, whether it's a school where Mike works, a university such as I work, churches where Patrick and we all rejoice and worship together and so on, all these places can provide support for developing our shock absorbers. We need to help teachers have them for sure, because in turn, they need to help young people develop their shock absorbers too. We need the same for our Christian lives, and I think it's useful to just think for a moment about what those potential shock absorbers might be. My initial thoughts were these. Reading the Bible regularly, that will act as a protective factor. It will act as a shock absorber. Praying regularly, whether that's alone or with others. Meeting in fellowship, whether that's here and chatting after the service, whether it's coming along to connections as it restarts again, I think, with vigor again on Tuesday, and so on. Meeting in small groups. All of the things we do that will provide us better shock absorbers because they're opportunities for us to, I suppose, build our confidence, renew our sense of purpose, provide much-needed social support and encouragement so that we are enabled to live our lives to serve God as he would wish. And here's the final picture for today. Do we recognize what it is? It's the Thames barrier. I thought I would link it a little bit because we've talked a lot about flooding, so we'll come back to that. I've spent quite a long time reading about the Thames barrier in the last few days in preparation, and I still can't find what they actually call one of those things that I'm going to refer to as a hub. Okay, one of those sort of capsule-type things. There are lots of them as they go across the river. I'd like you to imagine those as the different things that might be our shock absorbers, not just on Education Sunday, but we do need to know what our flood defences are. Each of those things might be something that helps to protect us when we are faced, and I'll use the analogy, with the occasional tidal surge that this barrier is meant to help us to cope with. If we have the right shock absorbers and we engage positively in the process, then I would suggest we'll grow in Christian character and godly wisdom, not knowledge, godly wisdom, um, so that in turn, like the water in the flood barrier, we're empowered and released to go and serve God in this world. And so finally, why do I think resilience as a Christian is important and worth considering on Education Sunday in particular? Well, all the research tells us resilience people are more likely to learn and grow. They're more likely to make a difference to others, and they usually finish the strongest. There's no better example than that of Jesus Christ himself. Amen.